Hello and welcome to episode 70 of Feckin' Metal. I'm your host, Fergal Trainer. I've recorded this intro about 70 times. Uh, I don't know why. I just keep getting tongue-tied on something and just going... Which is an insider fucking podcast term for... Anyway, um, yeah, 2023 rolls on, episode number two of this year. You're about to hear, or you were hearing it now, really, let's be honest. And uh, this is an interview, or a chat, really, not an interview, actually, with somebody who I came to know recently, back in 2022, in fact. But his reputation had preceded him. Yeah, we'll get to that in a second. Before we do, I'd just like to thank all the people who got in touch with me during the week, or, or last week, about the last episode, Talking Phil Linnet with Mick Wall. If you did listen all the way to the end, you know I did a 180 on the pronunciation of the word Linnet. Uh, yeah, Linnet was just too much for me. Um, apologies to you and your families about that. But yes, uh, many people who I've never spoken to before got in touch with me on Twitter. Uh, some sent DMs, some just replied on the post itself, which was announcing the episode. And I had some good chats with people. And keep it coming. Keep getting in touch. At Feckin' Metalcast is the best place to reach me, which is my Twitter handle. Uh, I do appreciate all of the comments, and I always get back to everybody. I might not do it immediately, but I always do. So thanks for that to anyone who got in touch. That seemed to be very popular, very well received amongst people. Anyway, this episode is about um, heavy metal fandom, really. That's what it comes down to. And the person I'm speaking to, Martin... Um, or Mortine, as he goes by on Facebook, or the name everybody knows him under, Fart, is one of the biggest heavy metal fans I've ever met in my life. I didn't get to meet him until 2022, but his reputation had preceded him. Everybody knows him. You'll hear some stories at the start about me interviewing somebody else uh, early on in my podcasting days, and uh, the opening question was, do you know Fart? And I didn't, actually. And I, I actually got to meet him in person in... Um, April of last year at Hell's Heroes, but I had been in the vicinity of him <laughs> at uh, Keep It True Rising in, in Germany in um, November 21. He was pointed out to me by a friend. Um, but yeah, everybody seems to know him. He, he's been attending gigs since the early 1990s. He has had his own record label. He had his own record store. He goes to more festivals than probably anybody I know. He's an enormous Iron Maiden fan, but he's an enormous fan of so many bands. He is a true heavy metal fanatic, has an enormous record collection, and has some very interesting stories over the years, and great insight into what it was like to grow up in Ireland as a heavy metal fan in the 80s, 90s, um, and onwards, and generally just a very interesting person to speak to. And this is intended to continue the theme of Irishness from the last episode, which I plan to stretch out for another couple of episodes, if possible. I do have some irons in the fire with people who I would like to speak to and have agreed in principle to speak to me. So if that all goes well, the next episode you hear and the one after that will be loosely linked to the theme of Irishness, or not even loosely, actually strongly linked to the Irish theme. Um, Irish heavy metal, basically, is the general theme for the next couple of episodes. So yeah, that's... Um, it's a waffly kind of introduction, but I do appreciate you uh, sticking with me and uh, and all the feedback. You know, I was so close to actually stopping, as some of you will know. I was very, very close at the end of last year to just throwing in the towel. And then I just thought, fuck it. Don't do that. Keep doing it. And since I released The Day We Caught the Train, which is, I think, episode 68, 
Um, I felt so much better about doing this and I've felt so much more enthusiastic about it. And I've been reaching out to people for interviews and making connections with people and making plans. And plans are something I didn't have very many of or any at all, really, towards the end of last year. So it's all going well in Feckin' Metal HQ. Long may it continue. Here is my chat that I just actually had this evening. This evening being uh, Tuesday the 10th of January. A couple of hours ago, with the man, the myth, the legend, Fart. Um, you might be eating a few chocolate biscuits now, Will, a minute, if that's okay. That's all with right. You. That's fine. Here, look. You, you know, the chocolate biscuits. Open Christmas yet? I just remembered a minute ago. So, what kind of biscuits? Victoria. Not even opened yet. Got all about them. Amazing. Oh yeah. Okay, they're pretty good. I have some um, Jacob's Elite chocolate marshmallows left. Got a tin for my mom. It's around this time in January you start going shit. I've all these fucking celebrations and uh, biscuits and stuff now still, uh, but you always find a way to get through them. Um, all right, yeah. so uh, welcome to Feckin' Metal. Um, so your name is obviously right on Facebook. You call yourself Martin, which is the Irish for Martin, but everybody knows you as Fart. Um, I was wondering if you might want to start there. Where did that name come from, and and why is that your nickname? Um, it was actually well. Going back to my earliest years, my ma always called me Farty Marty. Okay. But then you might have heard of an English doom death metal band from the early to mid-90s called Decomposed. Uh, I'm not too familiar with death metal, so no, I haven't. Okay. Um, well, they were over here in 94, and they couldn't pronounce Martin. So okay. being a little bit impatient, just ah, forget, call me Fart. Fair enough. And it's kind of from then. So very good, and it's pretty much what I'm known by is every known to everybody as now. Like you've probably seen that. Yeah, uh, I can see it there. Thank you. For for the listener, Fart has shown me his uh, hand where he has his name tattooed on it. Uh, lest you forget, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's backwards also. So if I forget, yeah. if I have a mirror, then <laughs> somewhere in, in yeah. Times New Roman, so it's easy to read. Brilliant. Okay. So. All right, sorry about that. Um, so yeah, the reason I asked you if you'd like to have a chat on my podcast is because uh, you're probably one of the biggest heavy metal fans I know. I uh, only got to really know you or speak to you for the first time last year in 2022. Um, but your name is like known all over the place. Everybody seems to know you. Uh, festivals all over the world. And uh, I remember when I was starting this podcast a couple of years ago, um, I reached out to Michael Padrebo from Glacier. I just kind of discovered Glacier, actually. Uh, their, their recent album was out and I, I messaged him on Facebook. like, would you be interested in doing a, an interview? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. And he wanted to do a test on Zoom because he'd never used it before. And he's like, the first thing he was like, do you know Fart? I was like, uh, no. <laughs> and he's like, do you know Stu Moore? I was like, no. <laughs> but, uh, um, since then, obviously, like I've, I've met you and stuff like that. But um, you're uh, like a huge heavy metal fan. You go to festivals all over the world. Yeah. From what you post on uh, Facebook, you have an extensive uh, record collection. Um, so I just wanted to ask you, where did it start for you? How did you get into heavy metal? And actually, would you mind revealing your age, if you don't mind? Yeah, I just turned 47 last month. Okay, right. So you're about 10 years older than me. Um, so how did you first get into heavy metal? And what was what was the band that got you into it initially? Uh, the first kind of heavier release I bought would have been Europe Cherokee single. Okay. When I was twelve on holidays over in France. But um I wouldn't say I was really into it properly then. And that's about the same time as I started secondary school. Okay. When pretty much everyone in the school older than me seemed to be into metal. 
Yeah. And the following summer, then I bought my first album, the Iron Maiden debut. Okay. On tape. And I remember sitting down, listening to it for the first time on my Walkman and being absolutely blown away. I bought it because of the cover initially and just because my friends were all saying, this is cool. Yeah. But then when it, before that, for a few years before that, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the old LucasAid ad with Daley Thompson. Oh, with Phantom of the Opera. Phantom of the Opera, yeah. yeah. I had no idea what that was. I just thought it was cool music that was in and out. Yeah, but yeah. myself and my friends would always be like playing games, running racing games and so singing that along while we're doing it. I had no idea what it was. Yeah. And when that came on, that Iron Maiden album, I was blown away, floored. That was me, sold immediately. Okay. Um, so, so we're talking, would you be late 80s when you started secondary school? I was 89 when I bought this, 88 when I bought the Europe single, late 88. So 89 when I bought my first album. Okay. And it's been, yeah, it was um, just all a bit downhill from then. Never, never ending. <laughs> still learning, still learning, still, still growing. Still learning, still growing, right. So Iron Maiden in 89, um, the first album. Did that start kind of a, a domino effect of like, right, well, I need to own everything now? Or was it a gradual yeah. introduction to the band or, or what happened next? Well, I think at the time I was getting something like 50p pocket money a week yeah. and you could buy a tape for a fiver. Okay. So now and again, I might get a few quid, visit a relation down the country, I get a few quid and buy another Iron Maiden tape usually. And then progressed on to the thing Metallica next, Guns N' Roses, Slayer, Megadeth, the usuals, Suicidal Tendencies. Right. And basically all, all my money was going on music at the time. On, on music, yeah. And um, did you have like, so you mentioned school friends were telling you that Iron Maiden was cool. Did you have any, like, a lot of people have an older relative or something like that that also gets them in to heavy metal? Was, uh, was that the case for you at all or was it mainly just friends? Not too much. No, I had a couple of brothers-in-law into old 70s rock and all, but they never really affected what I was listening to. I didn't really talk to them too much about it. And even, even in school, Iron Maiden was probably one of the least popular metal bands, but I knew it was metal and I saw the imagery and I loved it. Like most of my school friends were more into death metal and thrash at the time. For some reason, in the late 80s, early 90s, Maiden didn't seem to be doing too well in Ireland. Mm. So um, there was a minority of us really listening to it. As for Priest, like nobody was really listening to Priest at the time, from my age group anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just saying, I'm, I'm glad that I kind of took that step and listened to things that others weren't listening because it's still, they're still the bands I listen to most nowadays. Yeah, um, I was going to say, I know from uh, listening to Alan Averill's podcast that um, death metal was becoming quite popular in Ireland in the early to yeah, mid-90s. Yeah. Um, so all of the old school bands were obviously seen as being uncool or probably not extreme enough um, for people who are on their journey through heavy metal. Did, did that ever, did, like, did that, that obviously didn't affect you. You still loved Iron Maiden and but did you go into that direction as well with the various bands that were popular at the time like from from listening yeah, to that yeah. podcast it seems like there were death metal gigs at plenty in Dublin during those days yeah very very much I was like I grew up with death metal basically um but most of those gigs Alan would have been talking to I didn't I didn't actually start going to gigs until 91 okay and he'd be talking about a lot of late 80s and stuff like that um I was never in McGonagall's where a lot of those yeah. death metal gigs, I, was, I wasn't allowed to go basically. I, was, I had trouble getting to getting permission to go to my first gig, which was Megadeth in 1991. And it was always a struggle. At what age would you have been in? in you're too young for that. Well, 91. I'm still too young. <laughs> 91, yeah. But what first age would you have been? Uh, 15. Okay, so 15. Megadeth, the Almighty and Alice in Chains. 
Very good. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I get it on the Russian Peace Tour. Did I see um, the Almighty are reforming? Actually, I saw something about that on Facebook there recently. Yeah, they hinted something on their Facebook page there recently. So, uh, yeah, that would be nice. I saw them three times back in the day. So, it would be nice to see them again. Very good. Um, McGonagall's is this fabled place you hear about from people of a, yeah. an older vintage. Um, obviously, I was never there as well. I don't even know when it closed down. Probably early 90s or something, was it? Yeah, I think probably early. I think mid 90s, it would become a dance club. Okay. Um, I was never in there myself, as I say. I think. The last gig there was probably 91 or 92, I guess. But, um, yeah, sadly, I never went. I wish. And um, did you get to see Iron Maiden then? I think they played here. Was it the No Prayer on the Road tour, or was were you t- a bit too late for that? That was their first time in Ireland. That was September 1990, and I would have... I wouldn't have been allowed to go, but I would have persuaded. There's no way I would have missed it. But, unfortunately, I was on a family holiday in Scotland, Okay. In air in Scotland while they were playing, came home from air, and when we got back to Dublin, they were playing in air. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. Misspoken them, but what can you do? Unfortunate. Um, yeah, that would have been a nice first gig. So then you said you grew up with death metal. So while you know you're getting into Iron Maiden and things like that, you're discovering death metal as well. During the early to mid nineties, would that have been the scene then for you, or what? Like what kind of gigs would you have been going to? Um, well, the first underground gigs I went to, well, there was an Irish band, Cursed Earth. Mm. I'm not sure if you know them. Um, I went to see them around 92, a band from Wicklow. They would have been more doomy, kind of heavy metal. And from then, the next real underground gigs I went to were Anathema okay. in 93. Heard of them. And then my bride a couple of weeks later in 93. And they were real eye-openers. They're, they're what really made me discover that there is a scene here. And we have our own bands and... A very lively scene, and I met a few people there, stayed in touch, and some of them are friends to, now, to this day. Brilliant. Okay. And uh, you obviously did, you didn't grow up in Dublin. I'm from Leakslip in County Kildare. I'm still living in Leakslip. Okay. Right. So, okay. So you're commuting from Leakslip, not too far of a commute. So, was it easy enough for you to get to a gig in Dublin city centre if you want to go? It's not too much effort. Uh, yeah. yeah. Pl- pl- uh, good enough bus service from here. There always has been. Only problem would have been when I was young, the last buses would usually go at half 11, leaving the city. So it would have meant figuring out something. I always manage. And would you have had to leave gigs early or miss the last few I songs? I never, never left a gig early. No. Never, never did. Never. And unless it's a band I wasn't interested in that I wanted to leave early anyway or whatever. Yeah. But nah. Okay. That, would, that wouldn't have been an option. Couldn't do that. So um, then at the same time, like you were buying your tapes with your 50p pocket money, uh, did you, uh, clearly from, you know, just seeing stuff you post up online you're an avid music collector now and um, did that start at an early age or when did you become someone who like buys a lot of physical music was that like a gradual process or, or did it like was that straight away yeah it's pretty pretty much all along yeah as as much as i could afford at any time so obsessed with it since since an early since the early days really so um obviously i can buy a lot more nowadays but He's always, always getting him really good. Have you held on to everything then along the way from those early cassettes through the CD era too? Um, I have all my early cassettes, yeah. CDs, I've started selling a lot of them in recent years. If I, if I have them on vinyl, I'll get rid of them. I, I was buying things in three formats sometimes, but I've given that up space reasons, really. So now if I own something on vinyl, I don't need a CD, unless it's an album that's particularly special to me. Yeah, and I think I'll start offloading my cassettes soon if it's similar. If I have them on another format, there's no point. Yeah, make room for more stuff. 
So cassettes have kind of come back around, surprisingly, in the last few years. It was something I didn't mm-hmm. expect to happen. Uh, do you think the same will happen to CDs eventually, or is that just kind of going to be lost to time? Really starting already. Yeah. I think the cost of vinyl and the problems with pressing vinyl at the moment are making people go back to CDs, and like it's still a valid format. So there's no reason why not, really. Mm. Could you ever see something happening with CDs like happened to vinyl where there was a massive resurgence and all of a sudden now Terror Records is back to being a record shop? Um, could you see that happening with CDs? Um, yeah, I don't see why not, yeah. I think records are going to slow down more and more as time goes on. Like, um, as you know, I run a small record label myself and it's a nightmare trying to get something pressed at the moment. Like, it could be waiting a year or more for what you've ordered, in which time prices have gone up, like, compared to what you've been quoted at the start, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So I can see more labels, more and more labels just deciding to go the CD route. And also the postage. Yeah, like it's huge. A function, you to get a record sh- shipped from anywhere, yeah. You can get a CD for a couple of quid. Yeah. So make, it makes sense in a lot of ways. Fair points. Um, okay, so just I was going to mention your record label a bit later on, but getting back to... Um, kind of your earlier days as a metal fan. What was it like um, attending? I mean, where were you going to gigs, actually, when you were going to gigs in Dublin? Where were they on? You mentioned McGonagall's. You never got to go there. Uh, what were the venues that were playing uh, the smaller or underground metal bands at the time? Um, well, the ones I mentioned there, My Nine Bride and Anathema, they were in a place called Barnstormers on Cable Street, okay. which was a dirty, filthy, lovely biker bar. <laughs> I've never yeah. even heard of it. Great atmosphere there, like... Um, kind of place you wouldn't get nowadays yeah like are run by bikers and no holds bars kind of in there and like pretty much fights at every gig that would happen and great crack um but then there was a place called the rock garden in the middle of temple bar okay which was more recently known as Eamon Doran's ah yes I know Eamon Doran's all right yeah that was on Saturday and Sunday afternoons they used to have all ages gigs and they were priceless it really could be crappy bands like mostly local bands playing on a Saturday mm. and it would be free admission and you'd have a couple of hundred teenagers accommodated there they had they had a full bar and everything even though they were all ages gigs attended by only kids really yeah. <laughs> the bar was doing good business as well right. you wouldn't get away with that nowadays either and would you have been drinking around this time yourself or when yeah. did, when would that have started for uh, you? well yeah I, I, I started late enough I didn't start till I was about 17 but it was about the same time I started going to these, but I wasn't really drinking at the gigs. Yeah. It did progress the, the odd flagging down the road on the steps of the central bank. Yeah. <laughs> that's another story. Very good. The right of passage. Yeah. Uh, so before the central bank was a hangout for like the new metal kids, it was a hangout for the old metal kids back in the day. Yeah, that was ours, yeah. <laughs> we owned it. Absolutely. Ah, very good. Um, and was, was there a scene of people there? Like, would you have friends that you would have met uh, hanging around the central bank? Oh, yeah, yeah. Same, same people there every weekend and mm. um, from all over Dublin really um, some you'd know better than others obviously but like to be fairly good crowd there like between 50 to 100 people I'd say most Saturday and Sunday afternoons so Saturdays particularly even if there wasn't a gig on you'd just go and hang around at the central bank uh, yeah but every Saturday and Sunday there was a gig on okay right in, in the rock garden so um, Sundays actually they, they were kind of better gigs you pay a pound at the time into that, uh, but you'd have the likes of the Fifth Dominion, who you might have heard of. Right. Um, you'd have the better known Irish bands playing there on a Sunday. You, you pay a few quid for it. But that's kind of what opened my eyes to the likes of Crookon, Fifth Dominion, Afterlife, a few bands like that. And then for international bands, did Ireland see much international bands visiting during that period of time? Not at all, no. Some of, some of the bigger bands, all right, 
like would play the SFX Center, which was on uh, Francis Street. Yeah. And um, you'd get the like the Sepultura, Paradise Lost, um, Typo Negative over the years, and Slayer, and um, those those kind of bands. Then you had on um, the Tivoli yeah. Theater. I know the Tivoli, yeah. And you had the likes of Carcass would play there, Paradise Lost played there also. Um, but there weren't too many underground bands coming over at the time. Until a few, when we got a bit older, then we started bringing them over ourselves. Yeah. So I was going to ask you. So you have promoted gigs yourself uh, in mm-hmm. the past. How, how did you get into that? How did that happen? Or how come about? Um, just from seeing my friends doing it, it's, and it was a band I wanted to see. Sure, I could disagree. Like, I hadn't got a clue what I was doing at the start. In fairness, it was mm. get this band to come over, have a big party, and give them a few quid, whatever was made on the door, and buy. Like, hope you enjoyed yourself, and and like, would you would you have to put up money up front for their flights or hotels, or how did that aspect of it work? Um, back, back then, I never really did that. No, it wasn't just we'd agree between myself and the bands that they wouldn't really have a clue what they were doing or either. Like they were, they were only young lads. Mm. Like, started off with an English black metal band called Dust of Old. Okay, they were the first ones who did, and they knew they were coming over for a party. I doubt they even made back the money that they paid to come, mm. but. None of us knew what we were doing. It was all a learning experience, really. I know we all had a good time. Yeah. Amazing time, actually. So you'd have somebody just to do the door. This would have been a friend of yours, or maybe you yourself, was it? I'd, I'd, have, done, I'd have done everything myself. Right, really. okay. Okay, and did you ha- were these ticketed events, or was this booking like a function room that had... Um, yeah, pretty much any gig I've ever put on, um, even though they might need to be, I've made tickets because I like collecting tickets, ticket strips myself. Yeah. So I've usually just done it myself, printed my own tickets, and... They'd be on sale in the sound cellar back in those days. And as I say, tickets wouldn't really be needed at all. Like maybe five people might buy them in advance, but just a little keepsake for everyone that goes in the door then. Right. So you just hand out a physical ticket on the door as people are filing in. Like, okay. Um, And then like, I mean, how long, how long were you doing that for? When was the last time you promoted a gig? And the last, I think, well, you've probably heard of Into the Void Records. Mm. The shop we had, yeah. Um, I did a few as Into the Void. There would have been a few of us involved. The last one I did on my own, I think, was uh, 20, 2011. Okay. It was the Dublin Doom Day warm-up with Hell. And All right, a yeah. load of other bands. At nine or ten months. So by this stage, are you doing things like advancing money and booking hotels and flights, or is it still kind of on the... Uh, yeah, it, it, the, last, the last times I did it, yeah, I would have, but I haven't done it like since in over ten years now, so... It's a, a lot of effort. And Would those of gigs have gone through Ticketmaster or something similar? No, no, no. Um, at the time, we had Into the Void Records, yeah. so just selling everything through there okay. and through that website. Those, those kind of gigs now would have sold a lot of advanced tickets, all right. Okay. Like around that time, I, was, I also brought the likes of Portrait to Ireland and um, Procession from Chile and Dark Forest, the English band. Like It was really um, anything I've ever done. It's a band that I wouldn't mind traveling somewhere and spending a few quid to travel. My The way I look at it is I'll spend that same money to bring them here and they get something out of it and like I'm getting to see a band I really like. Mm. So um, I, I might get into it again one day, but at the moment I have no interest really. It's a lot of effort and I could travel somewhere and see, see yeah. a new city and see this band again. Yeah, fair enough. And so would you have lost money doing this or did you ever, was it ever a money-making um, endeavor? Yeah, I think I think I made money once. Okay. And, Sometimes, like pretty often, I'd break even, and I lost quite a few times. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But 
no, nothing to break the bank, like nothing I wasn't prepared for. Yeah. So, like I wasn't, I wasn't bringing over household names. Like it was yeah, yeah. that you, you were going to get a huge crowd. Okay. So it was worth it. There you go. So tell us about Into the Void Records then. Uh, yeah, that was myself and a few friends um, from Sentinel Records, Invictus Productions, um, Underground Movement, and Blind Men and Occult Forces, a label that's kind of disappeared by now. Um, we all had the idea just to put our funds and our time together and try to open a shop. And we got involved with tattoos, two tattoo artists, um, and we kind of premises together. And that was pretty good fun. Have, were you ever there yourself? I don't remember. I probably was, but when did it when did it close down? Uh, 2014. But that was our second location. We had another location where we used to have gigs in the basement. Okay, we had some acoustic gigs. I, I was definitely never at a gig. Um, I, I was, where, where were the two locations? Uh, the first one was on Whitefire Place, just off Angel Street. And the second one was next door to the back door of the Foggy Jew pub. Okay. I think I was in the one near the Foggy Jew. I think I must have been. Um, I did go to college around Angel Street from 2004 to 2010. It's a possibility I could have wandered in at some point. And we only opened um, early 2011. Ah, okay, right. Okay, so there you go. Yeah, I was I was quite likely in the one near the Foggy Jew, um, just yep. you know walking around town and stuff. Would you have worked in the shop yourself? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was two, or, two or three, maybe four times a week. Okay, we shared that between us all. Whoever was free to do whatever. And did you? At the time, I wasn't working full time, so okay, it made it easy. So I was going to say, did you have another job at the time? So you had a part time work, and then this took up the rest of your time. Yeah, yeah but I wasn't even working part time. That was my job. I was trying to. I'd been made redundant not too long beforehand, so my plan was to try to do that full-time, but it didn't really work out like that. Okay. Uh, eating money more than making money, <laughs> but yeah, I wouldn't change anything. Great, great days, amazing days. I'm just picturing the staff from High Fidelity. Uh, I think that made everybody want to work in a record store at one point in their life, anyone who watched that film. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it was a lot, but the first location we had it was a lot more than a record store. Like, we had... Um, some art exhibitions and we had gigs as i say in our basement there it was a pretty cool place but then we weren't really getting any passing trade or anything so we said let's move to, Cent- to the temple bar mm. but then a lot of the magic was gone because we didn't have the gigs we didn't have the extra things mm. and um then we all started getting jobs yeah so losing the time to do it and we just had to call it a day and eventually okay but as you probably know, Sentinel Records, one of the guys involved in it, um, has reopened again in Temple Bar now. So Yeah, this is Scobes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Another name well known yeah. in the metal scene in, in Dublin. Um okay, and so okay, so this closed down in was twenty fourteen, the last year of existence. De- December twenty fourteen. So right. Just just over eight years ago. Okay. And around this time, was that when Sarlac production started or when did that start? Um yeah, well Sarlac the first Time I came up with the name Sarlacc and did anything was promoting a gig in '99. Right, Sarlacc Promotions. But then it was around the time when I was made redundant in 2010. Yeah, I decided I'm going to start a label, something I'd wanted to do a lot of for a long time. Mm. And Christmas Day 2010, I released my first two releases. Um, actually, this will tell you how much easier it was back then to get vinyl pressed. Like I was made redundant in November, got the money for my redundancy in November, since these two releases to press in November and I had them to release on Christmas day. So one month 
from sending them to the pressing plants to receiving the thing. Jesus Christ. And now it can take over a year. Yeah, yeah. that's insane. Um, yeah. I'm just on the Discogs page of Sarlacc Productions here. So Brains, was that your first release? Strange Meat? First one, yeah, Cork Band. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And there's some interesting bands here who I like, uh, Witch Hazel, Eliminator. Uh, you released mm-hmm. a Visigoth demo as well, I think. Um, so was a lot of it just reissuing things that had no... Uh, physical release at the time or were, were there mm. new releases as well or a combination it started with only new releases okay like, um, I, my first four releases were all vinyl like between 12 inch or seven inch and then i did a cd by borrowed time which was the singer who now sings with um traveler oh yeah yeah was, very good but that was re-released they itself released a cd and it's only limited to a few copies so i said i'd do 500 of them spread them a bit more and um the likes of yeah, witch hazel would have been my first re-release i think mm. that was their first demo i released on tape they only had it on cd at the time and then yeah, i started releasing a lot of the tapes and that's when i started doing more re-releases and it was more i didn't have money to press vinyl at the time so it was more to kind of keep the label name alive and then like it got a bit overwhelming like started releasing 13 titles at a time and this kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, I haven't released it now in a few years, but I'll, I probably will again. Just yeah. I've been very lazy. I noticed um, 2016 was the last one I could see here on Discogs. Is that the last release you officially yeah, did? Right, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, but very interesting. Like, uh, I remember you first mentioned this at, um, it was a friend of mine, Owen, was wearing an Ashbury t- uh, t-shirt, Endless yeah, Skies. And uh, you were like, oh, I actually reissued that or I, I released that um, on my record at label. The, at the Eternal Champion gig, this one. Yeah, that was that, yeah. Um, and uh, I was like, right, okay, very interesting. So that's actually like um, a, a favourite album of yours, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, you you put up something recently where very you have much. like a large number of copies of it. Uh, I think of maybe 21 or two, 20, 21 or 20, 22 copies on vinyl, then a few CDs and six tapes mm. and what compels you to want to own that many copies it's the first album i ever did that kind of thing with okay um originally i had the original vinyl the early 80s one mm. and then i just saw it was being reissued and i said oh, it's, it's be nice to have that again yeah like i can kind of save my original one a bit and mm. then just started the, a different label release it again and i said oh, sure i'll pick that up sure why not and <sighs> I think there's two new two new versions of it out now that I'm going to have to get as well. I can't stop now, basically. <laughs> and do you go into all the like the different colors and things like that, or is it just a yeah, 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 okay. Every every single pressing, okay, including test pressings, the whole lot. Like, yeah. Do most of these sit in the plastic, or do you play them, or just keep them? On I don't know. I kind of alternate them. I r- rotated them. Don't know exactly. Like, I don't have them in order. That oh, that's that one's going on next. But I'll yeah. just pull out any one and play it. Okay, including the original. Very good. Um, it has to be done. You released a couple of Ashbury things. Uh, there was um, something funny going on. Uh, and then mm-hmm. was it a, a Rarities or a demo or something was the first thing? That's the first one um, out of the blue. It was just an online demo they had. That's oh. the only physical release it's got. Yeah. Oh. Um, those three songs ended up on their third album as well, if you've heard that. Okay. So, um, but originally, yeah, it was only on that tape. I am. Um, yeah, no, I did three versions of End the Skies, three different color tapes, like just being the Ashbury collector, like I was, I said, hey, I'm going to do a few things here to add to my collection. It's basically, anything I released was something I wanted in my collection. Okay. So, and, and then um, something going, something funny going on was the second Ashbury album, actually. It had only been released on CD at that stage. It's had a few vinyl releases since as well. Yeah. So, 
And then like, so what, what's the process like from start to finish? I know you said you had a turnover or a turnaround of a month um, for your first issue or first release that you issued, but like, what do you have to do? Like, presumably you need to contact the band if they're not on a record label, it's basically fair game. Is that how it works? Or can you do a different format if it's not on that particular format? Yeah, it's pretty much that. I don't, I don't even bother with contracts, really. I have a few times, but um, usually like it's all done by email or whatever. So both of us have records of what each what was promised and everything, and I just don't don't tell them anything that they won't get. Be completely honest and the band. If they're happy with, it, with what I say, then... It's usually a yeah. Okay. I've had very few bands rejecting anything I offered. So. And how do you, how do you manage royalties and things like that? Um, I'd normally just give a percentage of whatever's pressed. Yeah. Say if I did a hundred tapes, usually the band would get twenty. Mm. Which, and usually happy enough with that. Twenty percent of the sales. twenty percent of the physical physical copies, so they'd get twenty copies to sell for themselves or whatever. So that way they'd get more than any money I'd be sending them probably anyway. Right. Okay. So you can sell the others, um, that, and they have the copies themselves to sell, and then that's it. That's the deal. Yeah. Sometimes a band would ask for twenty-five copies or whatever. And hmm. Of course, yeah. Hmm. Sometimes I lost money on these tape releases, and I knew in advance I was going to, but um, I didn't care. It's still something nice I was going to have in my collection that I wouldn't have otherwise. Hmm. For the, for the love for the love of the music, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just being the nerd, the nerdy collector that I am, basically. Okay. So. Um, yeah. So it's it's as simple as that. You 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 see a release that you think deserves a physical release. It may have had one in the past, yeah. and then you contact the band, propose terms, and then just produce it. Yeah, basically. Um, a lot of these bands I would have known them in advance anyway, mm. like personally. So usually it wasn't a problem. And some some of these also contacted me, and I'd have a listen to their thing, and if it's any good, like there wasn't too much commitment to putting out a tape. It doesn't cost that much to do, and a hundred copies. Usually I sell out fairly quickly. So if it was something I liked, it wasn't a huge undertaking, mm. really. A matter of getting somebody to design everything and then get it pressed. Did you have a, like a web store then or like when you weren't running the record shop? Um, I do most of it through, through Bandcamp. Ah, yes. Okay, right. Yeah. Would they, would, have to, would they have to send you like the official artwork and things like that? And, and like, do you format it to a cassette style inlay card, that type of thing? Does that all, did that all just come to you? Naturally, or I didn't really do much of that myself. Um, so the guy that I used mostly was from Unhinged Art in Northern Ireland. He's done art, done album covers for Primordial, Morning Beloved, and the likes over the years. And uh, usually, like, unless the band specifically asked for somebody else that they had somebody that could do it or whatever, I'd usually get him to do it. Like, I his work is good and I trusted him. I could never, I'm useless to that kind of thing myself, right? Okay, I did, I did design one cover, one tape cover that I released, mm. but um. It took me forever to do something very basic. I do like I do like the cover I did, but mm. um, it's easier to throw someone a few quid and get it done. Yeah, exactly how exactly how the printers are going to want the format and everything. So, good. I'd probably go So uh, you missed Iron Maiden the first time round um, because you were alternatively in the wrong city in Scotland or Dublin. Um, when did you first see Iron Maiden? The twenty third of May, nineteen ninety three. Very good. So Fear the Dark tour was that in the point? It was a real life tour. Oh, it was sorry. the year after the Fear of the Dark. Oh, yeah, it was in the point, yeah. Um, with the Almighty supporting one of the three times I saw them. I was right up front. And actually that day, I met Steve Harris, um, Dave Murray, 
Oh, sorry, no, Steve Harris was the next one. I met Dave Murray, Yannick, and Nico that day by... Okay, it's a bit of a stupid, nerdy fanboy story. Okay, go on. Um, decided to go into town early that day, just hoping I might see the band. Like, I was 17, yeah, and yeah. still loving meeting bands, and I like, couldn't give a damn now. But um, I remember being actually outside where McGonagall's would have been on South Ann Street, mm. off Grafton Street. Yeah. And I, was, I remember being on a payphone there. I don't know who I was talking to or whatever, but in the distance, I saw what I thought was Yannick mm. coming out of the Westbury Hotel right. with a woman on each side. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, put the phone down, run straight over to Yannick. It was him, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, I gave him a tape of... It was at the time when Bruce... This is going to be Bruce's second last gig. Yeah, all right, yeah. So they're, they're advertising that they wanted a new singer, blah, blah, blah. So I had two really shitty old tape players. Mm. One one had a record button, the other one didn't even have that. Mm. I pressed play on one, pressed record on the other, I sang along to some Iron Maiden songs, <laughs> gave this tape again <laughs> with my contact details on it. I never heard back from them, surprisingly. Are you any good at singing? Hmm? Are you any no, no. no? Not at all, but like, I had to say I tried out for Iron Maiden. Officially, yeah. <laughs> I did. Apparently, they listened to all the tapes, though, so, you know, you're... Yeah, I believe so, yeah. Um, yeah, I met Paul Diano a few months later, and he said that he was part of the process, helping them to go through some of the tapes, and that maybe he heard me. Really? But, well, it's Paul Diano. Yeah. Take everything he says with a pinch of salt, but he did say it. A handful of salt, yeah. I've never heard that come up before at any point, so that's interesting. I mean, even mm-hmm. I don't necessarily know if I believe it, but it seems interesting. I've never heard it come up anywhere. Yeah, indeed, yeah. yeah. I've never heard anything about it for myself, and you'll, you'll never know the truth. It's true, yeah. Okay, so you saw Yannick, you said Dave and Steve, though, as well. Yeah, um, yeah. I hung around the... Uh, Dave and Nicole also. Oh, sorry, Dave and I hung around the West for a while after, and... um. I was on my own. I didn't have any other mates that were in town that early that day. And I saw a couple of other Maiden fans. I kind of just said to them, by the way, Maiden are staying here in the Westbury. Mm. So like, they hung around as well. And there was maybe, I think, three of us at one stage. We decided, let's go in. And I put on an English accent, right. went to the reception, and asked them if they could page Rod, Small- uh, Rod Smallwood. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know what I was thinking. I didn't. Like, hotels normally don't even have an intercom system, I think. Yeah. But they seem to be because they did put out the message. But then I don't I don't know what happened from that. But myself and the other two guys saw what looked to us like they must have been Maiden's crew. Like they had long hair and stuff getting mm. into the lift. Mm. We looked to see what floor they went to. We got into the next lift. Yeah. <laughs> went, to the same, went up to the same floor and we were followed up by a manager or something who dragged us down by the scruff of the neck and out on the, threw us out in the street. Yeah. We, like, we don't know how we thought we were going to get away with that. Like, what were we going to do? Go and knock on the doors. Hello. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Uh, uh, but you but saw, yeah, that's all. you did see Dave and Nico though, hanging about, was it? Uh, yeah. At one stage, Dave came out of the hotel while we were hanging around outside. Then Nico came down, walked down the stairs inside and yeah, just yeah. ran in. Again. This is after we've been thrown out. We ran in got her autographs or whatever got back out again yeah yeah so very good and also um i had this stupid idea of carving the iron maiden logo into my chest with a blade oh and nasty i thought that at the gig that night that showing that to the bouncers would get me backstage <laughs> <laughs> <Self harm. laughs> surprisingly enough it didn't work <laughs> my god i hope you weren't anyway seriously injured right no 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 scars aren't even there anymore all right it okay. wasn't that I think I took a 
took a pencil sharpener apart and used the blade from that. Like it wasn't. <laughs> Jesus. Okay. Sounds nasty. Anyway. Yeah, I thought it would be. Was um was that a well attended show? You said Iron Maiden weren't really um, um the biggest band in Dublin I, at the time or Ireland. I doubt it was sold out. Now I was at the very front, so I couldn't see. It was mm. at the barrier. I couldn't see what was behind me, but I'd imagine it was fairly packed. I think um I think Maiden had a bigger fan base outside of Dublin, right like down the country. And a lot of people who would have been older than me would have still been listening to Maiden. Mm. It was just my own generation that weren't really listening to them too much at the time. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, this, the next time I saw them actually was in the SFX. I was going to ask you, yeah, you were at that show. Yeah. How was that, actually, at St. Blaze? Probably less than, a, fewer than a thousand people there, I'd say. Mm. It was fairly empty. But um, it's my only time I've seen them with Blaze Bailey, so it was great. And plus, I was on stage doing the chants in Heaven Can Wait, so that was amazing as well. Oh, very nice. How did you swing that? Um, I walked into Brussels during the day, and Steve Harris was there having a pint. So <laughs> I just recently asked him. Like, at the time, it was something they were doing in all their gigs, as you probably know. Yeah. Um, had a few fans always up for Heaven Can Wait, so I just said it to him. and He handed me a pass. And Brilliant. Easy as that. Brilliant. Yeah. Just having a pint on his own, was he? I think there was somebody with him, like, no idea who it was. Yeah. No interest who it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Steve Harris. Steve Harris. Um, and yeah. uh, so what was the capacity of the SFX? Also, another place I never got to go to. I've googled it a few times, and I've got different answers. I think it was probably about twelve hundred, twelve to fifteen hundred, or something. Okay. Like, I could be completely wrong there. It might have been two thousand. Yeah. If it looks more like it would look more like it was two thousand. Yeah. But they, I think they probably sold a few more tickets than they should have as well. The place was packed sometimes. You couldn't move. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, good venue. And do you remember what the general consensus was about Blaze Bailey when that album came out in the 90s? Even, like, amongst fans, like, people who you knew liked the band. Yeah, most people weren't fans. Yeah. Like, I, I had trouble finding it. Like, there were, there were very few people I knew at the time that actually went to that gig, mm. even. Like, um, they were made in Russian all-time low. And if, even before that, it was slipping a bit. But then, then no, nobody was really a fan of Blaze. Right, okay. I always liked to myself, to be honest, but yeah. nobody else. Like, I was, I was a fan of Wolf Spain before. Mm. He was a rain maiden as well. Good stuff. Okay, um, so you obviously you travel a lot to go to different festivals around the place. Do you remember what the first show you travelled to outside of Ireland was? Um, It was Fight Rob Halford's Band. Oh, yeah. On the, tur- the 30th of October, ninety three. But um, I didn't actually travel to see it. I was in Paris, and he happened to be playing there. So that was my first gig outside. My first gig outside Ireland. But I can't say I traveled specifically for it. Mm. But the first one I went especially for, there would have been two gigs, two nights in a row. First night was Death with Benediction and Acrimony in London. Then the following night, we had Morbid Angel, Immortal, mm. and Moonspell in London. This is September 95. Right. And... A crowd of us went over on the train. The, we got the ferry to Hollyhead and the train from there overnight, like probably about 10 hours travel altogether. Yeah. And I even remember arriving. Uh, <laughs> like, the, train with the, the train was a session, basically. Yeah, yeah. And they were great times. Excellent. No, um, no Ryanair back in those days. Um, Ryanair existed, but it wasn't like it is now. Like you'd have been okay. paying like, big money. Mm. Like there weren't low fares. I think that only kicked in about 99 or 98 or so. Okay. When it became a local. And then did that kind of start the ball rolling for traveling a lot? Or is that a more recent thing? You, you seem to go to multiple festivals per year. Um, when did that all start happening? Or is it gradual? Uh, it was kind of gradual. Like 
probably about 2016 when I stepped it up a gear. Okay. Um, until then, my, my ma wasn't well. Right. And I was looking after her a lot. And in 2015, she passed away. Okay. And it was after that I started doing a lot more. Mm. Uh, as much as I can fit in, really. There was some, some months, I'd have like four weekends in a row with festivals, that kind of thing. Yeah. But calmed down a bit now in the last couple of years with COVID and stuff and trying to get back to normal a bit now. Mm. Like gradually getting back there again. Does back to normal mean back going to four festivals in a month? <laughs> or, yes. Yeah, right. yes, yeah. Okay. Um, the, the travel obviously doesn't bother you. I know you've booked a number of dates for the Iron Maiden tour this year. So mm-hmm. d- d- does that not drain you a bit or like make you a bit? Part, part of it. I love it. No. I love all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Doesn't, doesn't affect coming, you. Coming back sometimes, but um, as, as you know, I've taken a break from the drink recently mm. and my biggest problem was coming home somewhere from somewhere hungover. I hated that, mm. but now that's been eliminated. So it's making it easier again. I, I don't mind. I don't mind the airport thing, hanging around airports and all. It doesn't, doesn't bother me at all. Listen to music, sit down somewhere. Yeah. It's all, all part of the experience. So I was going to talk about the drink thing, which you brought it up yourself. So I'll, I'll ask you now. Um, you've been off drink since uh, mid 2022. Is that right? Uh, yeah, the Frost and Fireland Festival in in Derry last oh, yes. year. That was the last time I, last time I had a drink. You were there yourself, were you? I, I wasn't. I was actually in Copenhagen, um, in Copenhagen, and I had the tickets long in advance before it was even announced, so I couldn't go. I really did want to go, but uh, I couldn't. Okay, yeah. But, uh, yeah, that was the 18th of June, last time I had a drink, so it was almost seven months ago now. Was there any particular reason that you decided to stop? Um, No, there have been in the past. Like I tried many times, like, just because the fear and hangovers and stuff. But this time, um, it was the most enjoyable time I've had at a gig. I, I had only five pints that night. I was pretty much completely sober. Yeah. And it was the most enjoyable gig I've had sober in years. And just I realized, look, why not, do, why not try this again? And I planned to do it, maybe take a break for a month or two or whatever. Mm. And that's just carried on a bit. And now... I feel silly if I went back to it now. So is it something you think you might keep up for a sustained period of time? Um, look at this. <laughs> All right. You show me a bottle of wine there. <laughs> Two of them sitting beside me since Christmas and I haven't even thought about opening them. Okay. I'm going to give them away, I think. Oh, yeah, I probably will keep it up. But never say never. Like, I did enjoy some parts of drinking. Yeah. But I'm, enjo- I'm enjoying not drinking as well and I find it very easy. Never been difficult. Mm. And I've been to festivals that normally I'd think, how could anyone do that sober? And I've, I've done it. it. Hasn't been difficult at all. Mm. And it's opened doorways to stuff I can do, like drive after a gig or whatever that I could never have done before. And yeah, that's priceless, really. So a mutual friend of ours, our caddy, um, I didn't know him in his drinking days, but he was known as a, as a heavy drinker and he completely gave up. Um, he was a madman. Yeah, I never knew him back in those days. Um, do you know that guy, um, Dave, what's his surname? Dave Walsh. Dave Walsh, yeah. 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 He was like regaling me with stories of our caddy in the drinking days. But um, he gave it up and, and never went back to it about 11 years ago. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And like, yeah, he would have been a pretty heavy drinker. And would you have been a heavy drinker? I wouldn't really say so, no. Um, to p- people would probably think I was, but that would be when you'd see me at a gig or whatever. Like I n- never really drank at home mm. or whatever. I never even really enjoyed drinking all that much, really. Like um, it was more a social thing. Like I find it hard out at a gig to talk to people, especially drunk people, mm. if I'm sober. And it was just getting on the same wavelength. Yeah. And, Making things a bit easier, but now I'm getting over that. 
Okay. I, w- I wouldn't consider myself being a big drinker now. Okay. But I could. I did go over the top when I would be drinking. That, I that from time to time. I could go out for four or five days and stuff with no sleep and just continuous. Yeah. Great crack. <laughs> wouldn't change. Did you find alcohol facilitated getting to know a lot of people? Because clearly you do know a lot of people. Uh, 100%. Yeah. At, 100%. Yeah. And do, do you miss that aspect of it then? Um, I think I know enough people now. <laughs> You're full. <laughs> We're not taking any new too, people. Too many. Uh, too many uh, uh. We're not hiring at the moment. That's it, yeah. Uh, social media kind of took over from that anyway, during COVID and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, 100%, 100% like there's no way I would have talked to so many people as I did without it, without that on my gold hat. Oh yeah, so I was going to get to that. So let's talk. Let's talk about the hat now. So where did the um, where my hat thing come from? Just to let people know. Actually, you can tell the story about what it is. Go on. Um, yeah, it's a gold hat that pretty much everyone I ever come into contact with ends up with it on their head, usually more than once. Uh, plenty of bands are born on stage. Yeah. Um, it's all kind of progressed a little bit, and it's a little bit silly, really. But um, they can't stop now. <laughs> so if you ever go to a festival basically when you come home there'll be maybe a hundred or more photos of people wearing this gold kind of it's like a ch- it's like a gold i won't say chain mail but it's a gold kind of metallic hat that's not a solid hat like it has kind of dangly bits coming off it like um yeah <laughs> that's the best way i can describe it. how would you describe it um yeah just pretty much like that yeah. it's just a lovely hat yeah. it's a gold shiny hat it was quite funny. It's actually amazing. It was quite funny at Hell's Heroes where there'd be a slight quiet bit in a set and it'll just hear you going, Wear my hat <laughs> which is <laughs> became a common feature of the gigs. Yeah, sure it can be quite annoying for bands. Yeah. Especially, especially the ones that have endured this maybe ten at ten different gigs and they're trying to concentrate on what they're doing and there's drunken me shouting that. And so, uh, when when was the first time uh, you asked a band during their set to wear your hat? It was in January 2016 in London, Seven Sisters. Mm. They were playing with um, playing with the new wave of British heavy metal band Fist. All right, free gig over in London, and somehow Graham, the guitarist, I got my hat on his head. I think I just reached up and put it on his head while he was playing. Yeah, and it kind of progressed from there. Very good. They're they're good lads, Seven Sisters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. nice guys. but then, like, uh, it got to obviously got to the point where you're in the crowd asking or telling the band members to wear your hat, throwing it up to them. And I thought the funniest was actually Mike Scalzi um, from Slaufeg. He wore it for a long yeah. period of time. <laughs> I got several photos of him with it. But uh, yeah, he had it on. He's for... worn it quite a few times at this stage. <laughs> yeah. um, he knows what to expect when he sees me. Yeah. Or Jason from Eternal Champion. He put it on for a couple of seconds, threw it back. He's like, nice to see you again, Martin. Yeah. <laughs> If you look at uh, actually um, Eternal Champion, I Am The Hammer from Keep It True 2017, I think it is. Like, he's wearing the hat for most of the song. Very good. So, yeah, he's worn it quite a few times on stage by now as well. Okay. Um, what drives you to keep going to festivals? Is, is it primarily the music or is it the whole experience, the people? What, what, what is it that makes you want to go to so many festivals per year? Both. Yeah. Like, like um, so many so many friends that that's where I see them all the time, mm. uh, and then yeah, the, the lineup of course has a huge part to do with it, but um, that's where the drinking was a bit of a problem as well. Like so, so many times I go to a festival and couldn't remember mm. the bands I wanted that I'd been looking forward to seeing for six months or whatever since the festival was announced, or that I completely missed them. I didn't even know whether I missed them or I saw them or not. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Well, that's another benefit now of I'm finding I'm finding that I'm becoming very nerdy now and just getting up the front looking for settlers, looking for picks and stuff. I'm becoming Arcadia. You are. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'd never become Arcadia. I'll be talking like this soon. <laughs> like, sorry, Arcadia, if you're listening. But yeah, um also just especially if a festival is in some place where I haven't been to before, it's nice to get to see a different place as well. Mm. Um manage to combine it with a, a day or two in a different city or something sometimes. Not always. Yeah. But, well, you're like obviously like traveling in general. Um, just from looking mm-hmm. at the photos you post, and you're a keen amateur photographer. But you in Texas, for example, you rented a car and, and made a huge holiday out of being in Texas. Those photos looked fantastic. Yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah, we went down south near the Mexican border for uh, myself and my friend Anne, who I'm sure you know, I do, yeah. German girl who lives, lives in Ireland. Um, went spent a few days down near the Mexican border. Then then we had the festival. Then went further north up near the border with New Mexico and a few days around there, national parks and stuff and hiking and driving long, long, long drives, like nine hour drives. The day after Hell Heroes, I think we had a nine hour drive and that was hell. Yeah. <laughs> One of the worst hangovers I've ever had. And were you still, you were still drinking back then? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. That, that was April last year. I stopped in June. Right. Yeah. So, you seemed they seemed exceptionally um, sober any time I saw you at that. Anyway, so I think I think later on in the nights, like back at the hotels, when the party really started. Okay, see, I didn't get involved in any of that stuff. Uh, I just went back yeah. to my hotel up the other, uh, the opposite direction up the road. So I think when I, I think when I met I met you there in a barbecue place. Yeah, in, Pinkertons was it or Pinkertons? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think it was a really bad way then. Oh, yeah. Anyways. Okay. Yeah. I would have been early enough in the day before yeah. the big even started. I was I was on my first lone star of the day uh, <laughs> with the mm. fucking. Oh yeah. That was delicious, actually. It was really good. We made the mistake, though, of getting a McDonald's breakfast that morning because um, we were starving. So I had the big whole fucking big breakfast thing and then went to Pinkerton's later on. And I had this delicious plate of food in front of me and like brisket and everything. And I just wasn't hungry enough to enjoy it, to really fully appreciate it. But um, it was fantastic. It was really nice. I'd been, I'd been following it on Instagram for about a year beforehand. So I... Did you know you were going there? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I knew it was near the hotel I was staying in. All right, okay. A friend of mine who's a big foodie had Google to see what kind of places, mm. what barbecue places were near that hotel, etc. Right. And, oh, yeah, Pinkerton's looks good. Oh. And I, I ended up going there, I think, three times, and then they had a brunch in San Antonio, which I went to as well. Oh, deadly. I didn't know they had more than one, right? Um, yeah, I think it's just, I think just us, or Houston and San Antonio. So, and it's the very same in San Antonio. Great, 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 great food. How would you rate Hell's Heroes, the festival? Was that your first time at that? Uh, yeah. How would you rate that in comparison to the likes of Keep It True or Up to Hammers or other ones that you've been to in Europe? Um, It, it was good, but it could have been better, mm. I think. Like, lineup-wise, it was great, Yeah, obviously, especially coming from Europe, like so so many of the really really good current US bands yeah. playing. Um, a few things could have been better, I think, but like every festival is that, like... Um, like clashes between stages and stuff which you can't really do much about mm. but one thing that did kind of get to me there was um i can't remember who was delayed there was something delayed on one stage and they could have staggered to the next stage for to avoid clashes yeah but they kept the next stage going at the same time i know i missed high spirits over that right um, i missed a few as well i think i think riot might have started right or was it riot 
I think it was them, yeah, that started on the main stage a bit later. Mm. And instead of putting the other stage back so they, they wouldn't clash, they caused that. But, um, also, that small room is too small, really. Oh, it's tiny, isn't it? Jesus Christ. I, I, I think Savage Master were delayed. I think they were either the first or one of the first acts on the first day. And that it's started a huge you. domino effect. Yeah, I think, I think that, that rings a bell already. For the rest of the day. Um, but anyway, yeah, no, like I, I left some of the bands up in the upstairs area early just because I wanted to be downstairs for the start of the main area and it was just a bit messy with the yeah, times yeah. yeah but um and then like so then out of any festival really sorry like when you have two stages at a festival that kind of thing yeah happens often so it's not really something I should be complaining about Fair. But, out of the festivals you've been to then how, what what would be your favorite or what would one would you recommend over all the rest of them um there's a few that I really love um Obviously, the likes of Keep It True and Up The Hammers are great, mm. amazing, but they're quite big as well. Like I, I like smaller festivals, and there's one in the south of France, Pyrenean Warriors. Oh, yeah. I've seen the poster, all right. I haven't been to it. I think I've been to the last five editions of that, and I love it. Like it's a lovely part of France. When you're saying Keep It True is big, uh, how small is Pyrenean Warriors then? Um, Just a few hundred, I guess. One stage, maybe seven or eight bands. Uh, one day festival. Okay, but it's the kind of thing that, like, um, if you've got a friend there, you're not going to have any trouble finding them. For example, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Don't have to queue long for anything, or like keep keep it true. It's a brilliant festival, amazing. I've never had anything but a great time there. But there are some things that are a struggle. Which is like, if you if you're not camping there, which I never have, because that area of Germany in April can be quite cold, mm. and the nearest towns are like about half an hour's drive away and trying to get a taxi at night can be an absolute disaster there. Like you can be waiting until the next day nearly. Yeah. Stuff like that. But it's, once again, it's a small gripe. Like you know what you're getting when you go there. Mm. But next year, luckily, I'll be able to hire a car because I won't be drinking and I can drive. Very good. So You can give me a lift. Sorry, next year. I mean this year. <laughs> oh, really next year. Yeah. Are you, are you going to the one in April, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I've had my tickets since like... Can... Three years ago now. 2003. You were talking about keeping true rising more, were you? I, no, well, I've, that's the only one I've been to, yeah. I do have a yeah, th- yeah, yeah. Thursday ticket for this year. Um, currently, that's all I have. Um, and yeah, the okay. people who've been there were like, oh, well, you know, um, it's not great for accommodation. I certainly have no intention to camp. Uh, those days are behind yeah. me. <laughs> but, uh, I, I do camp at festivals now and stuff, but like April, but, like I've seen tents there with frost on them. Yeah. in the middle of the night no yeah, that's not really for me although I, I might have a hotel that i paid good money for and still i'd stay in the campsite all night sometimes no intention of leaving like but at least i always have the option of getting to the hotel if i can find a way yeah um okay uh, i've kept you here for a while but we can probably start wrapping it up soon enough i know you love iron maiden is iron maiden your favorite band if i had to choose yeah 100 okay. what what puts them above the others um, well, music. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, plus uh, every, everything about them, the imagery, the live show, um, plus the fact that they were the first band they really got into, like, it's just something that's really close to me mm. because of that. Um, er- everything about them, really, like, I've, when I was very young, like, I was completely obsessed watching every video I could have, like, every VHS tape that was available mm. and, like, coming home from school, watching the same one over and over and over again, like, yeah. and it's just, if I had to pick a favorite band, it would be them. But I'd, 
I don't really like to say it like that, but definitely the band that mean the most to me and etc. If that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I kind of I learned that from looking at your uh, Facebook activity over the last few months. Where uh, how many how many gigs are you going to in twenty twenty three of Iron Maiden? Um, I've got ten tickets. Ten. Yeah, I've got ten, ten tickets so far. Yeah, so far, including the first so- first five gigs on the tour. Okay. I'll probably leave it at the end. Like, I don't think I'll bother. I think it's enough. Yeah. Next year is another year. Like to be more than true. And North America most likely as well. Yeah, and South America as well. And like I'll try and get somewhere there, maybe. Very good. Maybe Japan. We'll see what happens. Japan. Very nice. Okay. Uh, any other plans for 2023? What else have you got coming up? You said keep it true. Ten Iron Maiden gigs. Yeah, yeah there'll be um yeah. Hammer and Iron Festival in a couple of weeks. Oh yeah, with Jag Panzer. And, uh, is that in the post hall? No, or it's in Essen, is it? In Essen. Yeah, yeah, sorry. It's it's also an Ollie Festival. Yeah, I knew it was one of his. Yeah, but um, I've never been to Essen, so it's going to be my first time there. And um, what else? Not too much coming up. I think of Hell Over Hammerberg. I might go to in March. All right, yeah. A um, few gigs as well in Belgium and Holland in a few weeks. A few Wishbone Ash gigs. You, nice. If you know which one, I do. Yeah, yeah. Um, Argus is fantastic yeah. album. Oh, amazing! I see you were you were you were at a couple of Wish on Ash gigs in very small venues there recently. I got a laugh out of your posts. <laughs> yeah, they, they uh, saw them in England and Wales back in November mm. playing the Argus album in full. Yeah, you were posting that you were the young the youngest person there. I think I probably was. Yeah, it was unreal. <laughs> great, great feeling like a kid again. <laughs> They all, they all look so cross and just don't look unhappy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you saw that picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. a horror movie or something. Very good. <laughs> but, um, yeah, there's a few other festivals coming up. There's Up the Hammers. I haven't decided for sure if I'll go, but I'm, chances are I will. Mm. And one that looks really, really good in France, Courts of Chaos. Oh, yeah. Again, I've seen the poster. Brittany. Mm-hmm. Right. Very I think good. I'm pretty, pretty sure I'm going to go to that this year. Nice one. Um, We'll see what else comes up. Excellent. All right. Well, look, it's been great chatting to you, and I really appreciate it. Uh, you've done lots to do with heavy metal. Had a, a record shop, a record label, traveled to a lot of different places. So I'm sure it'll be very interesting for uh, the listener as well. So thanks a million. I, I appreciate it a lot. Anytime, Marish, and thank you. All right. So that was my chat with Fart, also known as Martin. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. Thought he had some great stories about the record label. Uh, Stories about meeting Iron Maiden, I thoroughly enjoyed. And just generally hearing about a different Ireland than I remember. I know he's only older than me by 10 years, but that makes all the difference with the number of venues and things that have closed down. Basically everywhere he mentioned that was a small venue has closed down, and most of them I never got to see a gig in. Uh, One of the most recent ones actually was the Tivoli, which I only attended um, wrestling events at, but never a gig at. Uh, That was one of the more recent ones that was knocked down to build apartments. I never did get to go to McGonagall's, like he said. I never did get to go to the SFX. I'm sure some of you listening did get to go to those venues and have great memories of gigs that were on in those places. You certainly hear about them a lot from heavy metal fans of an older vintage when you bump into them at shows and things like that. But anyway, I thoroughly enjoyed that. I hope you did too. That's going to do it for episode 70. If things go to plan, I'll have a couple of episodes in the next few weeks that will be um, Irish in theme as well. Uh, So... I'll keep you posted on Twitter. If you want to get in touch, as I said earlier, it's at Feckin' Metal Cast. I've been your host, Fergal Trainer, and I will see you next time.